2: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham... ...right here on Talk Radio. As we wind down towards the end of the week seven of lockdown... ...it is beginning to look like there is an end in sight. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Prime Minister Boris Johnson has now hinted very strongly... ...that measures will be put into place this weekend... ...to allow picnics, small gatherings of groups of friends and family... ...and even possibly the opening of pub gardens and cafes. We have patiently waited for the most part. We have adhered to the government's advice mostly... ...and we have behaved responsibly almost always to the social distancing instructions and to the restrictions on travel. Uh, all of us apart from Professor Neil Ferguson, of course, and his German girlfriend. The big question now will be, can we continue to be responsible, sensible and wise when it comes to the relaxing of the rules? Because the big worry that a lot of people have is that once things do get relaxed, the idiots will take over and life will become unbearably ridiculous once more and I will have to close it all down again. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Today's major front page story has to do with the link between COVID-19 and obesity. A study by researchers at Glasgow University has discovered that patients with a body mass index of over 30 have a much higher likelihood of needing hospital treatment if they contract the virus. We'll be discussing that, amongst many other things, with Dr Mike Smith. Plus, we want to hear from you as well, of course, the eyes and ears of the Independent Republic. What are you seeing? What are you doing? And what are you being told out there in the real world? 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll find out what the big lockdown must-haves have been as we prepare to move on out of it next week. Apparently eggs and proper breakfasts have never been more popular. Apparently John Lewis has run out of egg cups, believe it or not. Mark Dolan will be joining us to tell us how he's getting on. And we'll be getting more advice from our friends at Which? on the subjects of the scams coming your way by email. If you have any questions, please do let us know. If you've got any email scams you want to tell us about so that we can tell everybody else, please let us know about that as well. Plus, on our homeschooling slot today, we are looking up to the skies to learn how it is that planes fly. And it's got nothing to do with coronavirus, I can assure you. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio.
1: Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio.
2: Now, don't forget, as ever, we are live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. So you can watch us now. Join the ever growing throng of people who are enjoying watching this show uh, on Twitter as well as on Facebook as well as on YouTube. You can subscribe on YouTube and you can find all the other TV slots that we do. We put out an awful lot of videos these days. Millions and millions and millions of you are watching them over the course of the weeks and months. So thank you for that. And uh, please do continue to do so. Coming up, though. Uh, Let's talk about the latest sort of situation vis-à-vis coronavirus and vis-à-vis the medical advice. And the latest big story this morning comes from a study that's been done in Glasgow University, double the risk of hospital for patients with obesity if they encounter uh, this ghastly disease. Let's talk to Dr. Mike Smith, uh, who is, of course, a regular commentator on the NHS. Dr. Mike, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, suppose the... this has come as any great surprise to us. We've sort of known that those who have suffered worse uh, in this crisis seem to have been uh, either one from a particular ethnic minority, two male, three possibly overweight.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. And the, the news was full of it this morning. Obesity, I think, doubles the risk. Uh, and by obesity, I mean you can work it out, as you know, um, uh, uh, for figuratively on the mass, yes. uh, which is quite difficult to understand in general terms. But nevertheless, you can say specifically that this person has got the sort of, uh, 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 is obese because of the uh, height and weight ratio. Yes. Uh, the other thing, of course, is the black, uh, Asian and ethnic minority groups. Yes. They're, they're, uh, while obesity doubles your risk, the uh, black uh, and, and minority groups, that goes up. Two or threefold. Yes, um, and uh, both these groups therefore are more at risk of dying, and, and one's got to be do everything one can to protect them. Uh, and um, so, so, undoing the lockdown, which is the best um, treatment we have at the moment, is the lockdown because the vaccines are going to take time, and the actual antiviral medicines are not yet ready. So, uh, the lockdown has been the treatment of choice, and that remains the treatment of choice so groups especially at risk.
2: Yeah, I mean, what would you say to people who argue, and I'm not one of them, by the way, that the lockdown hasn't actually made any difference, that if we hadn't locked anybody down, the numbers of people dying would have remained the same?
3: Well, I think they're basing their arguments on places like Sweden, which have a, a less dense population and a much smaller population. I mean, um, we have one of the most dense cities in the, in the world, mm. and London, and of course that's borne the brunt for that reason. Yeah. And um, had we not had lockdown, we'd have had an R number. Now, the, again, the R number is a bit complex, but I can explain it very simply. The R number, when it gets below l- y- y- one people who are infected are affecting fewer people. And if it goes above one, they're affecting more people. So the the rate is going to rise of those infected. If it's below one, it's going to fall. Now, ours is down at the moment to 0.7, which means that Ten people with the virus are passing it on to only seven people, and those seven people are going to pass it on to only about five, and those five are going to pass it on to about three and a half, i.e. that's one of the reasons why it's been falling. And why it has been falling is because we've had lockdowns. Yes. And we've therefore been keeping everybody to themselves as much as we could, especially those that are known to be infected. And that's one, one of the reasons why the government's testing is going to take out some of those people, those sevens and fives and 3.5s, as I've said, uh, so that they're not um, spreading it anymore and therefore lowering that R number even more than we have at the
2: moment. Yes, indeed. And presumably before the lockdown, the R number was on the increase, wasn't it? So that, that was more of a problem because more people than, say, if there were 10 people infected, they would infect another 20.
3: Yeah, that's right. And, and that's because, you know, the R, R number was above one. Yeah. Once we got it down to below one, which we did about six, six or so days ago, mm. maybe 10 days ago, we got it below one. They were saying it was something closer to 0.8. Therefore, 10 people were infect eight yes. who would infect about six and so on. Right. Um, and and now it's down to 0.7. And so, you know, the lockdown has really had a big bang and it was the only thing we had. And, yes. it worked.
2: and as that gets lower, does it eventually get to the point where actually one person infected, in fact, doesn't infect anybody else?
3: Well, that, that's right. One person will by the time you get very, very low, will infect, you know, 10 people might infect a half a person. Yes. I mean, because this is statistics, to put it in everyday language makes it a bit of a nonsense if you don't watch it. Right.
2: And Uh, I I mean, the reason I ask that question, Mike, is because we are now having to think about the next stage and the next phase and how we unlock the the lockdown, if you like, and what Boris Johnson is going to announce on Sunday. And presumably, the more we get close to that figure that you've just described, you know, like we know 10 people infect half a person, Presumably, the more we can unlock.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But uh, until we get there, and I think what's going to happen initially, especially as has been suggested, you know, uh, pubs who have got outside areas Mm. are going to be allowed to open in outside areas, keeping the distance and so on. Um, As as we do more of that, it's going to, I I think, also say um, those that are elderly, um, those that are obese, those that belong to the ethnic minority groups, uh, perhaps would do well still to uh, distance themselves Mm. from these places for the moment. They're probably going to have to do something like that initially.
2: Right. So you're advocating, or you would advocate, a kind of um, apartheid, if you like, not about uh, people's ethnic uh, um, and minority status, but in terms of, you know, if you are one of those people who's more at risk, you're probably best not putting yourself at risk by going out any more than you are at the moment.
3: Yeah, um, well... Which is perfectly or, sensible, or, yeah. by the way.
2: There's nothing wrong with that. What? What? Well, I'm what? saying there's nothing wrong with telling certain groups of people that they should oh, no. be more you're, careful.
3: You're no, do- you're not doing it on racist grounds or, or on the... No, or, or, you know, or on ageist grounds. No, no, or, or on anti-obesity. You know, um, like bu- uh, kids that are overweight get bullied at school. You're not doing it for any of these reasons. Right. You're doing it to protect those groups yes. who are shown, typically. Uh, I may say I was... a specialist in preventive medicine in my NHS career most yeah. of the time when I wasn't actually broadcasting. Right. And and so I'm used to dealing with these figures and trying to interpret them to the population as a whole, which can be very difficult mm. because it's, uh, you know, it, it's based on statistics. And as you know, only too well as a broadcaster, you mention the word statistics and your listener switches <laughs> off before you know what's happened.
2: Well, exactly right. I mean, let's talk about the obesity situation, because one of the things that I would say that I have had a problem with in the past is that the definition of obesity has sometimes been shall we say, slightly fast and loose. You know, I remember a time when you were allegedly obese if your BMI was over 25. Uh, this morning in the Times, I'm reading that they're measuring obesity as having a BMI of over 30.
3: Well, that's right. No, over 25. 25 to 30 is overweight. Ideal is between 20 and 25. Yeah. And, and and below 20, you're beginning to wonder why the person is so thin. Um, it's those categories. You know, right. below 20, between 20 and 25 is okay. 25 to 30 is overweight, over 30 is obese, over 40 is, um, what do they call it? Morbidly sorry? obese, right? Morbidly yes. obese,
2: that's right. But what yeah. I'm, the reason I'm asking you the question is because, obviously, if there was to be some form of, um, not necessarily order, because the government hasn't really done that, but recommendation, if you like, that if you are obese, you should stay home, they would have to be quite careful about the definition, wouldn't they?
3: Uh, well, yes, because again, you see, it's being being sort of mathematical. It's confusing. It's the height in, it's uh, it's the weight in meters squared over the uh, height in meters. Right. Um, and I say, oh, no, no, I've even got that wrong. You see, see what I mean? I mean, when well, you, this is why I'm said, saying.
2: I mean, this is why it's all very well saying, oh, the obese are at risk, but who is yeah, the no, obese? No.
3: Yeah. Well, I, they probably know it already because they they are getting a bit on the plump side. Um, more so than... Um, although, again, you see, in the Times this morning, it was saying that the obese are a third of the population. Well, right. that's a new figure. because well, this is the what last I mean. I had, yeah, the last one I had in my mind, it was uh, obese were... Uh, overweight was certainly one in three, four, yeah. and obese were something like one in five right. of the population as a whole.
2: Yes, but this um, is why I'm being particularly specific here because what I don't like is when sweeping statements are made and nobody's really ever asking the question. Well, what exactly is your definition of that? And I think we, in this case, I think we need to know specifically. I mean, you've just given a good example of how unspecific we can be, where you say, "Well, most people know if they're obese, if they're a bit, you know, if they're a bit flabby." Well, not necessarily because because you know, people have different body types. People have different weight to height ratios. Um, some people are fitter than others, even though they may be overweight. I mean, we've got pictures, by the way, uh, by this, next to this next to this story of Adele. Um, you know, being praised for losing weight because she used to be obese and now she isn't. You know, I mean, it's a very arbitrary kind of uh, t- term. It seems to me. Yeah.
3: Well, it, it, if you want to work it out for yourself, you 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 get your weight in kilograms. Mm-hmm. And then you get your height in metres and multiply that by itself. So if your height in metres is 1.5 metres, 1.5 times 1.5, whatever that comes to, and that's the figure. And then your weight in kilograms, you divide the height in metres into the weight in kilograms.
2: You've already lost me, I'm afraid. Well, I know you see that's my, but this is important, though. We know we can't well, be vague about okay, it. Well, do it do it slowly, Mike. Well, let's do Wait it. On. I've got a calculator here, right? So why don't we do okay. you? Because I don't know what my weight is in kilograms. I've not um, weighed myself but, for a long
3: time. Uh, do I know my height in meters um, without looking? Without actually doing it, I know my you see. I know my weight in stones. That's the problem. Yeah, I know. I, I do fall into the twenty to twenty-five category. Do you? Okay. And, um, um, and in in the um, in the Times this morning, it was saying. A woman who is five foot four. Yes. Um, uh, in order to, therefore, explain it in terms that people still think about, um, and um, whilst let me think, uh, was uh, twelve. See stone. what? I'm, see, what see, see how difficult this is, right? Uh, well, I know. But anyway, if she. All was, right, let me uh, do.
2: Let me help you out here. Hang on a second. Let's get the old Doctor so, Google, Google out, five, right?
3: Get five, get five. Get five foot four and convert that into. So, um, so
2: five foot four. Um, Forgive me if you're listening to this and going, what the hell is going on? 5 foot 4 in centimetres, right, is 162, so that's 1.62 metres, right?
3: Yeah, now multiply that by itself, so 1.62 times 1.62.
2: Okay, so 1.62 times 1.62 is 2.62. 2.62. 2.62. Yeah. Now
3: uh, the five um, the 12 stone. Um, put that into um, uh, kilograms.
2: 12 stone in kilograms is. Let's yeah. a look. 12 stone in kilograms is 76 kilograms.
3: 76. Now you divide 2.62 into 76.
2: So 76 divided by 2.62. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Hang on. 76. 76 divided by 2.62 equals 29.
3: Yeah, well, that's just in the top of the overweight
2: range. So that's not obese. Uh, so she's all right, yeah. so she can go out to, well, to the pub. Well, she she's still overweight. And yeah, yeah, overweight but this is, but this is you, my you point. Know. You see, I mean, my, well, my the name. reason for me demonstrating that is how difficult this is going to be.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, I once did a broadcast on Radio 2, and... Um, Uh, somebody phoned in, and it was a phone-in, and somebody phoned in, and they were six foot six, and they weighed, I can't remember, but it was some enormous weight. Right. And and whilst the presenter (laughs) was talking, I quickly did the calculation like you've done. Right. And I said, well, that comes to 32, 33. Right. Um, so that's in the obesity range. I am not obese, the individual said. And yes. I said, well, you know, sorry, the, the calculation, that is how you calculate whether you're obese or not, and you fall into the obesity range.
2: Yes. <laughs> I've had a text <laughs> from you... somebody who says that you can uh, you can use stone or kilograms the NHS has a BMI calculator, which is a lot better than what you've just done.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I've got one of those, Mike, but it's not before me at the moment. And no. you can actually put, yeah, it, it works it out, you know, on the spot. But do you see 15. my... Point. I
2: mean, I'm sorry to no, labour it, but you do see my point. The only reason I'm I'm making such a fuss about this is because if there is an order to be made that says that you are in a particularly vulnerable group, therefore, you know, if you walk into a pub, somebody says to you, you're obese, I'm not serving you, go home. You know, that's when it starts to get tricky. <laughs> no, so they won't you're laughing, that. but that, that sort of uh, well, thing could happen.
3: I know, it, it. yeah, but I don't think the pub would do that. But on the other hand, uh, the individual... Uh, it needs to be made aware that they are more at risk. And yes. therefore, um, you know, it's just like saying... Well, to maybe, the over-
2: maybe maybe, what, what they should open then is the gym so that people who are obese can go to the gym and lose a bit of weight.
3: <laughs> you, well, yeah, but uh, dieting is probably more important than mm. the actual exercise, although exercise plays a big part.
2: How confident are you, Dr. Mike, we'll finish up with this, that we are kind of getting on top of this as a, as a well, virus?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite confident having seen the figures go down in the way that it was hoped that they would do based mm. on the uh, lockdown and, and that has has worked and as I say it was the only effective thing we had if yes. we hadn't done that and and people have been very good about it. I mean uh, around me, where the roads are normally crowded and the park space is full, you know all
2: these have been quite different
3: yes uh, remarkably different and um as a result, people have been taking note and, no i th- uh, i
2: think I think the public have been remarkably sort of um uh, agreeable to all of this yeah yeah, you know, absolutely, which is a good thing have, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's good. Definitely. All right. So so all overall, Dr. Mike, uh, we can have a happy day. I think we can look forward to tomorrow, uh, VE Day, yep. of course, a bank holiday, first yep. time on a Friday for a long time. Uh, Dr. Mike Smith, thank you very much indeed. You see, here's the thing. I hope you don't think that I was being overly pedantic there, but I think the whole point about this exercise is that if people are going to be starting to be labelled, I think we need to know where the label begins, where the label ends, what people have rights to say, what people have rights to do. Whether or not you're overweight is a matter for you. If you are so overweight that you are in danger of dying from COVID-19, I think we need to be told. And I'm not entirely sure that this story in the Times is entirely helpful from the University of Glasgow researchers because all they're saying is if you've got a BMI of over 30, you're obese. Well, maybe that could be true for some people, maybe not so true for others. So let's talk about it. Give me a call. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Uh, If you're overweight, uh, are you now worried... That you might be more at risk than you thought you were. This is already. Mid morning
1: with Mike Graham. Talk. Radio, the Independent Republic of Mike
2: Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Coming up later on uh, in the homeschooling section, it will be particularly good if you're one of those people who's a bit unnervous. Oh, unnervous, unner- Unnerved. I's what I meant to say. Uh, by flying, nervous uh, of flying, people who are a bit scared of getting on a plane get a bit anxious. We're going to have a guy who's a pilot explaining precisely how planes actually fly, which I happen to know is something that bothers people who are frightened of flying, or who are terrified of flying. They just can't understand how the plane gets up in the air. So we'll get all that explained for you. And in the next hour as well, uh, we're going to talk to Henry Hill, Assistant Editor of Conservative Home, uh, about what he believes is going to happen next week after Boris Johnson makes his speech on Sunday afternoon. Uh, lots of you uh, will also get some good consumer advice from Adam French which about email and text scams. Let's go now, though, live uh, to Madrid to speak to our good friend, Talk Radio's correspondent in Madrid, uh, political correspondent as well, Rebecca Noons. Rebecca- Becca, very good morning to you.
4: Hello, Mike. Uh, well, I've, I've just listened to you. I'm definitely tuning up to because I'm terrified of flying. Oh, so you? I oh definitely good. We've been well, listening to
2: that. Listen, well, we'll be explaining how the plane gets up in the air and how it stays there. Although, I have to say, I mean, I remember watching a comedian once who said, like, It's not that I'm terrified of flying, I'm terrified of crashing. <laughs>
4: That is exactly my problem. It's not actually the planes actually thinking, oh, my God. Yes. Well,
2: me I mean, don't worry. <laughs> I mean, planes are now apparently flying backwards and forwards to Spain. So uh, we may be able to get you back to uh, to Blighty sooner than you think.
4: Hopefully that will happen. Uh, but, well, on news from Spain, um, the prorogation of the state of emergency was voted in favour yesterday. OK. Uh, this has been after an intense fight between different parties this week. So this is the fourth prorogation. So it's taking the country into its second month of right. state of emergency. So that is a long time. Uh, the Leader of the Opposition up until now had been saying he would vote in favor of the extensions. In his own works, in his own words back in March, he said that they could count with the opposition to fight against the pandemic. But as weeks went by, the accusations Started to grow hard, and the criticism against the government went escalating until yesterday. They abstained. So, if there is a fifth prorogation, the opposition said they will vote against it. So, But for now,
2: we are on the state of emergency until the 24th of May. Okay. And are you um, as similarly allowed out as you were? The last time we spoke, I think you were being told you could now go out certainly to do exercise if you want. I saw a picture from the um, the beaches in Barcelona where quite a lot of people were walking around. It looked like a relatively normal kind of scene um, in Barcelona. Quite a lot of people walking not that far away from one another. What What are the streets looking like
4: now? Um, so from Saturday uh, people are allowed to go out for walks and to exercise with different time slots as I explained last week so for example I would be out around allowed out from 6 in the morning till 10 in the morning okay. and from 8 at night till 11 o'clock at night so I can go for a run um, I I went twice and now I can't move um, <laughs> but the, <laughs> honestly it's really really painful but um I think it depends on the areas, which is one of the issues that Madrid is having. having. So uh, the parks and green spaces are closed currently right now in Madrid. So what's happening is all the people are having to walk uh, in really, really small spaces. What the mayor has said is that he's going to try and pedestrianise some of the streets of Madrid so people can start keeping that social distance so we don't repeat, especially during the weekend, which is when more people go out. So People can actually respect that social distance and we're all not together which is what we're trying to avoid
2: and what about what's open and what's not open i mean are the hairdressers open yet are the, are the cafes open are our shops which are not food shops open
4: so uh as we were saying everyone it was in phase zero so yeah, hairdressers are open but you have to call in you can uh order food from your favorite restaurant but you can't be inside but what happened yesterday is uh most all the regions in Spain applied to move into Phase 1 on Monday, the 11th of May. Right. So yesterday was the last day for the regions to apply to advance their phase. Um, So... um, Either tomorrow or Saturday, we will know which regions will be allowed to phase one. Mm. Uh, the ultimate decision is made by the Ministry of Health. But this is quite curious because, um, so, Madrid yesterday, we woke up with a doubt if we were going to ask to move to the next phase. As the President of the region of Madrid said that we were not prepared, especially because we didn't have enough ICU capacity. While the Vice President said that Madrid was ready, so, in the end, around 7 o'clock, they applied to move into the next phase uh, with the conditions that people should wear face masks indoors and keep their social distancing. But this is contrary to what's happened, for example, in Barcelona. So, Catalonia, they have admitted that they're maybe not ready to move into Phase 1. So, only three areas of the region will have applied to move to Phase 1, while Barcelona has not even applied, so they will still remain on Phase zero. Okay. So that means no terraces for Barcelona until they are to move into phase one.
2: Right. And obviously here, Rebecca, you'll have followed the fact that uh, you know the furlough system may be coming to an end. There's a lot of talk about reopening the economy uh, to before it collapses altogether. What are people saying about the economy in Spain? Because clearly uh, there's not a lot of money being uh, exchanged.
4: So, well, we were seeing yesterday that the European Commission uh, spoke about more or less what would happen to Spain and they were talking about the Spanish GPD will fall 9.4% and the unemployment will grow uh, up to 18.9%, which is similar of the government's estimation. So we're looking at a big crisis, uh, probably even bigger than the 2009 one. So I think people are a bit... Yeah, because it, now we've got obviously health crisis, but the one that's coming is an economical one. Loads people are obviously have lost their jobs. Uh, a lot of people have uh, had uh, obviously um, it's called the regulatory work uh, workforce. So it is it, only for a time. They are like unemployed, right. and then they will be uh, employed again. But it is it is you can just see everyone's a bit scared for what is coming. It coming. So actually. Um, talking about that big companies have started to uh, do tests to their workers so obviously the big companies are in a hurry to restart their economical activity and they want to do it with guarantees um usually they use the test that detects the antibodies actually i was speaking to two friends of mine they both have this test done and it's come back negative, which right. means they haven't gone through the virus. Yes. Uh, but still, the Ministry of Health recommendation is for the PCR test, which is the one that tells you if you've got the virus, yeah. should only be done... To people with symptoms, with symptoms yes. and care work.
2: Yeah, because in, if you're trying to find out if you've got it currently, there's not much point unless you have a symptom, I don't think, in taking the test because it really doesn't mean very much uh, at all. Rebecca, listen, stay safe. Thank you very much indeed for the update. Rebecca Noons uh, reporting into us from Madrid uh, where things are still pretty well locked down, it has to be said, uh, but the Spanish government looking at ways of keeping it uh, that way for at least another couple of weeks, maybe until towards the end of May, uh, and then we shall see. But certainly it doesn't look as though the um, the tourism business in Spain is going to open up this season, and it's not going to be um, you know autumn before you can actually go there on holiday because people have already started talking, by the way, about the possibility of going on holiday. Let's talk to Felix, who's in uh, Slough. Hello, Felix. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm good, same Very good. as ever. Excellent. Well, same as ever is good, isn't it? It's sort of you know it's only when it starts deteriorating that you need to worry. <laughs>
5: Well, it's the weekends that get me. Not that I do a great deal, but it's depressing. With, no, I'm, a, I'm with you. A I mean, so.
2: I'm, yeah. I'm with you because, um, you know, normally speaking, weekends I spend with my children at the moment, spending the weekend in London and not actually working is a bit of a struggle, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. You know. Um,
5: yeah, indeed.
2: What can, uh, what can I tell you? What, what do you want to tell me today? Right.
5: I mean, you talked about obesity as a risk factor. Yeah. I just wanted to bring up, there's a read a couple of things recently about the opposite of risk factors things that might help you um, not get very sick from Mm. coronavirus yeah first one is vitamin d and people with darker skins generally have less than the recommended amount of vitamin d in their system because it's harder to you know you get it from sunlight mainly And you don't absorb as much. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, old people stuck in inside in an old people's home will also be uh, not have enough vitamin D. Yeah,
2: just because they're not inside. Um,
5: yeah. Ob- obesity um, stops you getting enough vitamin D.
2: So... You know, how, why, that, how does that work? If, what if you're obese and you're out walking around in the sunshine? Why wouldn't you absorb vitamin D?
5: Well, then, then, then I guess you should. But apparently, fat cells do—I don't know the ins and outs of it—but most good obese to, well, people that. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't have the article in front of me, but they're deficient. I mean, yeah. uh, and it's a very simple—you know—spend 15 minutes in the sun every day and sort it, or take a supplement. But this, I'm, I hope, I hope someone is looking into that possible connection.
2: I think they're looking at all ways of trying to minimise the effects because clearly one of the most kind of confusing aspects of this particular virus is that it seems to affect different people at random in different ways.
5: Yeah, but that, you know, there are recommended levels of vitamin D. Sure, but no, but I'm not,
2: I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying there's clearly other factors as well which have an, have an impact.
5: Well, I'll t- tell you another one. Another <laughs> Apparently... Um, smokers are very unlikely to end up
2: in ICU from COVID nineteen. Yeah, I've heard this story. I'm not sure if it's true, um, but it's certainly one that's doing the rounds. Because in France, they started getting very carried away with it and started all wearing nicotine patches because they thought nicotine had some um, role. But I don't know if that's true. No, not nor do I. But uh, and I think
5: that explanation is not. You well, know, that possibility is not being publicised, obviously, because uh, no one. Well, wants it is because you and I both know about it.
2: We do, but well, we're not that. You not we're not that clever. You know, I don't have a secret, we're, we're secret we're channel to Downing Street. So well, you're too um, kind. I can't. You know, I can't possibly comment. <laughs> well, you are at least. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, you you can find this information. One of the the advantages and, and indeed, disadvantages of the internet is that you can find all sorts of uh, stories that will tell you that this helps, that helps, that doesn't help, this is going on, that's not going on, you know, and we have to just filter it all and try and make the best of it, you know. But all I can say is that I would not wish to give official advice to anyone to say that, you know, vitamin D and or nicotine will stop you from, you know, suffering badly of (laughs) COVID-19.
5: Yeah, exactly. But I'm taking both.
2: Yes. Okay. All right. Well, good luck to you. You know, get the old Marlboros out and uh, enjoy them. You might as well, just in case you get COVID-19 and that's the end of it. Uh, But at the end of the day, um, there are lots of people who have got lots of um, explanations as to what helps and what doesn't help. The fact is, nobody really knows at the moment. We still don't really know um, why some people are more badly affected by coronavirus than others. Um, And of course, as soon as we do know, uh, we will tell you. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Time to say a very good afternoon to Mr. Mark Dolan. Mark, it's been too long, I'm afraid, since I've spoken to you.
6: Yes, uh, honestly, I'm feeling the impact of self-isolation. I'm not getting my MG time. But the good news is Mm. that I just have to switch on the radio and I get you on tap. Yes, well,
2: that's also very good. And also, if you're missing me at any time and I'm not on the radio, there's so many podcasts I'm currently doing
6: that you can just get your teeth into all of those as well. (laughs) Well, you're all over the place, I tell you. And you know something? Uh, I actually... my Poor missus, because uh, she's very loyal and, uh, well, and long-suffering, long let's yes. be honest about that. She'll stick me on when I'm on talk radio, which, as you know, is the fastest-growing radio station in it the world. Is. And uh, when I get back from a shift, she does not want to hear the sound of my voice. You see, I have the same problem.
2: You know, I have not seen uh, my children or, indeed, their mother uh, for about six weeks or possibly coming up to seven weeks, right? Um but when I did used to go there at the weekends um she would quite often sort of shy away from me on the grounds that she'd been listening to me in her words
6: all bloody week and didn't want to hear anything else from me. <laughs> no, it's a it's a complete nightmare. But I tell you I mean I'm loving this story. By the way, brilliant show today as always. Thank and you. I've just I thought as as a sort of um you know support for your listeners a bit of input. I've done my own BMI. Yes. Um it took yours is probably minus 10 or something isn't it? Well, according to the NHS, <laughs> I'm clinically dead. So, <laughs> excellent. Well, I
2: think if you and I averaged out the two of us, maybe we we, we would both be fine. Um, yeah, exactly. Because, It'll be uh, like
6: one of those 90s, 80s uh, life swap comedies. Yes. Where I get a bit of your body, you get a bit of mine. And we're like, we, together, we're one healthy person. Yes.
2: Now, you're returning uh, to the airwaves here, I, I presume, tomorrow for drive time and then Correct. all over the Correct. weekend as well. So you're yeah. omnipresent from Friday till uh, till Sunday. Um, but tell me, have you um, seen this list of, of, of lockdown must-haves and, and can you now confess to be uh, completely and utterly middle class by having had all of them?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I've hoovered up all of this stuff. I think I'm responsible for about 1% of UK GDP (laughs) in the most recent quarter. And I think the reason why is because the lockdown is not a time uh, to go on a hunger strike. It's in relation to your BMI story earlier. I actually don't really think now's the time to go on a crash diet or or, or give up drinking or anything. What I would say is um, if your budget allows it, Um, then do what you can to get through this. And I think that's what this story tells us, Mike, is that people have, you know, bought uh, maybe some luxury beverages, which they're going to enjoy in moderation, but it will be something that they can look forward to uh, at some point in the week. I'll have cocktails, you know, um, storage boxes. That's because I'm cleaning the place out um board games obviously especially if you've got kids yes so i think you know people i mean it looks a little luxurious i know the essentials are sort of bread and milk and eggs but actually it's been a long lockdown and i'm pleased to see that most of these choices look quite sensible to me well do you know
2: i was very much uh swimming in that direction last night because i got to the point where i've discovered that i had a a can of black-eyed peas in the cupboard, which I don't know really why I bought because I don't normally cook anything with them. But I Mm. did a sort of impromptu kind of, you know, do-it-yourself jambalaya with it because I thought, well, black-eyed peas is kind of Cajun, you know. I'll put some chorizo in there. I'll put a bit of paprika, a bit of chilli. And it actually tasted fantastic. It was really good. And I think using what you sort of have lying around, and I saw a great list of words which have now come into the lexicon and one of them is quarantini. Uh, which is basically any kind of cocktail that you make with whatever you can find in the drinks cupboard.
6: Well, now, listen, you, uh, Michael, are not one for self-promotion. So let me, on your behalf, um, tell your audience of many millions now that MG's Kitchen, right, that that recipe has got to go into your new podcast. It's going to have to, yeah. Um, and, and actually, I think that um, you ask me about the stuff I've bought. You know, I've obviously made sure and to have the essentials. I find things like UHT milk fantastic because it lives in the cupboard. It yes. means that if you get low, you can just reach for a pint or two. Um, but, you know, once you've got the basics, I think you're looking for a little bit of luxury here and there. And I think a lot of people have done that. At the moment, like, for example, at home, when, when, when I am sort of self-isolating, as we are enjoying lunch... We're discussing what dinner is going to be, which we don't normally have the luxury of doing, of no. course. And, of course, I mean, I, I'm finding, well, as, as I talk to people with families
2: who are stuck in house with their children, that they're eating an awful lot more food together... Because, of course, normally you wouldn't be doing that every single day. And The Times this morning has got a fascinating piece on the front page about the number of eggs that people are now consuming. Because apparently eggs are in, in quite short supply. And everywhere, every time I go to a supermarket, I've tried to limit it now to going sort of once a week to get everything rather than sort of going, you know, every couple of days to get little bits. I just get one big shop. And there's always somebody buying a whole tray of eggs. And I think to myself, have you got one of those... Um, you know, um, burger vans you drive around in and just make loads of eggs for people.
6: I mean, it just seems bizarre to have a whole tray of eggs. Well, it is, but I think it's quite good news, Mike. I don't know what you feel about this lockdown, which, of course, is an appalling nightmare, and we wish it wasn't happening at all, and the human tragedy is, at the moment, Mm. you know, incalculable. But we do try, and, and we do on talk radio, don't we, to look at the positives and stuff, and one is that I think people are gravitating to to actual real food. I mean, you mentioned eggs. That is an amazingly nutritious, complete food. You know, meat, fish, cheese. If I go to my local supermarket, that's the stuff that gets low um, in availability. Mm. And I've noticed that my fellow citizens are eschewing the ready meals and the jars of of rubbish. Yes, which can be no bad thing. well exactly so and the reason why of course is because people ha- do have more time which is a bit obviously not their choice but if you do know that you've got the whole day ahead of you
2: oh i think we might just have lost um uh, mark there it's not even twelve eighteen. you know we used to lose people at twelve eighteen. it's only twelve twelve. maybe there's a new curse which has come in um but here's a funny thing right we'll get mark back in a second apparently egg cups have come back into fashion now you are probably like me have not used an egg cup for many a long year. I mean, we used to have them when I was a kid uh, and your mother would make a boiled egg and you would take the top off it with a knife and then you would sort of use your spoon to dig out what was inside it. Uh, And some people like them soft, other people like them hard. You know, the bottom line was that you probably had an egg out of an egg cup more than, say, three to four times a week, I would say. Now, I don't even own an egg cup. And apparently there's been such a run on egg cups that actually John Lewis has sold out of egg cups, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. But um, we'll be talking to Matt, uh, Mark Matt. Mark Dolan, <laughs> very shortly when he's back. He's coming back, of course, on uh, Friday uh, with the Drive Time Show. Today it's Dan Wooden uh, with the uh, the Drive Time Show from 4 o'clock. From 1 o'clock it's Ian Collins. Uh, we've got lots and lots of you to talk to as well, which we can get to um, very, very shortly. But the, the whole point of the conversation I'm having with Mark is that basically um, we're going to have to be ready for some form of a, less- a, a, a lessening and a relax- relaxing uh, of the lockdown. Because at the end of the day, basically, um, we have been locked down for now the best part of six and a half weeks, right? By Monday, after Boris Johnson has made his speech, it will be the seventh week. I said, well, I mean, this is the seventh week. I'm not actually sure. I think this might be the seventh week. But anyway, basically, what we're going to be doing is going out again. And that might be, for some people, a little bit of a of a problem. Because in fact... You've not been used to doing that for quite some time. If you've been off work, if you've been furloughed, and you suddenly have to go back to work, is that going to be tough for you? While we're waiting to get Mark back, let's talk to Nigel, uh, who's up in North London. Hi, Nigel.
7: Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, complex as ever. I think Edwina kelly has got all the egg cups.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I can't remember the last time I ate. I mean, I may have had one in a hotel or something for breakfast, but I mean, it it used to be a real kind of uh, rite of passage, didn't it? You'd have one of those boiled eggs and and you'd stick your toast in it and and all of that. And I'd sort of forgotten what that was like. Well,
7: I'll tell you a little story. I bought an egg cup with, with, it's got an egg. Uh, a cup, and then got a little sort of, sort of curb tree, you've got another egg next to it, right. and a gravy boat Ooh. for £2 each at Chiswick car boot sale about six months ago. Now,
2: that's interesting, because that means, presumably, it was something of an... Well, not an antique, exactly, but something from the days gone by.
7: Yeah, and I'll tell you something, there's nothing better than pouring gravy out
2: of a gravy boat. I totally agree with that. You know, funnily enough, the other night, I had some gravy <laughs> with some with some cottage pie that I made, and I haven't got a gravy boat, and I thought... This is something wrong here, you know, uh, I need to get one. Because I had to make the... I, I, I didn't make real gravy. I have to confess, I used the granulated stuff out of a, a, a packet, you know, and poured some hot water. And I poured it into a mug and just, and just kind of spooned it out of that. But it wasn't as anywhere near as oh. satisfying.
7: No, it's fun, it's fun. Look, I rang you about a couple of things. First of all, I do not understand why cause a, a close friend of mine, David, he mentioned this to me, so it's, it's not my idea, it, it, it's his. Why haven't they reopened golf courses?
2: Well, that's a good I'm question.
7: Sure enough social distance is enough social distancing there, isn't there?
2: Well, there is. And I was talking to a friend of mine in Portugal the other day. They're opening golf courses in Portugal basically this week. And they've got a... Um, are you talking about for the playing of golf or just for actual walking around? Oh, playing, playing. You
7: know, so you, to, to you guys, uh, they, they get around as quick as they can to get yes. to that 19th hole.
2: You know. Yeah, I think so. And also, apparently, I mean, I was listening to Ian Poulter, funnily enough, the other day talking on Talk Sport because he's doing some kind of um, raffle or, or auction to raise money for uh, for, for, for coronavirus uh, victims. And he was saying the, the golf courses in Florida have never closed.
7: Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder because, of course, two of you fifteen foot away, and you are following the next two or four ahead of you, which are about five or six hundred yards away. Also, I don't know whether tennis courts, but um, yeah. um, what. One other point I wanted to make is in relation to the economy. Mm. I don't see why car dealerships can't open because car sales compared to a year ago are down by 96%. Yeah. So I think it would be a great idea to open up. A-
2: well, I just wonder whether people want to buy a car, though, because, I mean, uh, you know, it's not perhaps the one that – it's not one of the things you want to do if you haven't got a great deal of money knocking around. Nigel, I can hear your line uh, not getting better but getting worse. So let's try and get
6: back to Mark Dolan. Thanks for your call. I think we've got him back. Mark? um yes indeed i've put uh, a pound in the meter well played um and i I, it's very interesting isn't it and also listening to your calls as well i mean i'm i'm reminded about the last big economic crisis we Mm. had mike and that was of course the credit crunch 2008 2009 yeah and um george w bush at the tail end of his presidency actually made a speech um from the rose garden of the white house and he said if you want to help your country get out and go shopping Mm. And this was, of course, because of the, you know, it was a huge, you know, massive issue around um, all of the banks. It basically it was a, a global banking collapse, wasn't yeah, it? It and was he said the one thing you can do is go shopping because that will keep the economy going. Now, I've done a bit of homework um, here on this, mic Last year. The percentage of our economy that is based on consumption, which is basically us buying and consuming things, 66 and a half percent. Right. So and that's not a bad thing, because actually having an economy based on consumption is very efficient. It's not like heavy industries. You know, you've got retail, you've got hospitality, you've got financial services. It's actually very future proof if you think about it. But, you know, I think these people, uh, you know, middle class, Or I'll be honest with you, I think everybody has probably stretched their finances a bit in order to um, buy things that have kept them going through this lockdown. And honestly, if we're going to recover, we are going to have to go shopping again.
2: Yes, no, I get that. But I mean, I say to people who complain that, you know, the economy has been absolutely destroyed by this. Well, hang on a second, because an awful lot of people are spending an awful lot of money in supermarkets buying an awful lot of stuff online. And some people are actually, uh, albeit some are suffering, some people are saving money because they're not travelling to work. Some people are saving money because they're not going out in the evenings and having dinner, or they're not going out and buying, you know, big, big meals in McDonald's and Kentucky Fried Chicken because they can't do it anymore. And so actually, I'm less convinced that the economy is shot. And I'm very much more optimistic than that. And I think the economy will recover, providing the government starts to lift the lockdown, as we hope they will do starting next week.
6: Um I think I think we'll be all right. Well absolutely now that the NHS has not been overwhelmed, the focus has to be our economy. We know that you've said it ad infinitum on your show that the back end of a prolonged lockdown is going to be death for other reasons and that's to do with, you know, terrible poverty and uh, our public services not having any tax income with which to pay for the hospitals and schools and all the rest of it so you are so right we must get back to business and I must admit I agree with you that during the lockdown um, the economy has ticked over in an awful lot of uh, ways I'm astonished Mike by how much I can um, get delivered to my home you can get almost everything delivered to your home now can't you Yeah. And uh, even sort of rather frivolous things, you know, uh, such as a a bottle of tequila or a uh, um, gym equipment, other sorts of things like that. But, you know, that has been a very valuable thing. And ultimately, do you know what's going to happen, Mike? Um, Businesses are going to work smarter. They're going to realise that they haven't had to have all of that office space. That might open up an opportunity for housing. We're completely you know sort of levelling and zeroing out the scoreboard of the British economy and I think the trick is when we get through this which we will that we are very creative about what our economy looks like going forward very dynamic very digital and who knows not immediately but in the medium and long term we might even be the better for it. Well indeed um,
2: and what about your own situation if in fact we do start to see a bit of a lifting of the lockdown are you going to struggle do you think to get back to where you were for example saying to to mrs dolan well i'm off out now and um i may not be back until about 11 o'clock
6: yeah i mean honestly that is going to be an issue we've all been in each other's pockets and you know i mean she's basically been able to sort of, <laughs> i feel like i'm under armed guard yes you know what i mean
2: yeah
6: um, i mean and she and may not want tricky. you to
2: go back out to the, the groucho club and hang about until the early hours of the morning
6: Uh, Listen, you know, I'm very committed. Not that I'm giving anything away, obviously. Exactly, and all the the, the rest of those luxury (laughs) venues. I mean, I do miss them. I don't know. I mean, I I think that um, everybody, myself included, Michael, are going to be mindful about the future. It's been an economic shock, and I probably will be a little less frivolous financially than I was because, you know, like you, I'm a sort of sunny, optimistic character and quite entrepreneurial in spirit. But I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, you know, who knows where the next economic shock would come from perhaps i do need to put a bit more aside and have a little think about what is really important i mean what is interesting too isn't it mike we talked you mentioned about ready meals and takeaways and all of that is that we have sort of um once again learned what is important Mm. and at the beginning of the lockdown my laptop just completely crashed and died a death wow and i managed to get what felt at the time like the last mac computer in the country online you know you know when you go on those websites it goes in stock one left yes and you're like i'm having that didn't even check the spec because obviously i can't work without a computer i think you know that's what we have done i think is focused on the essentials and what is important and i think that's not a bad thing for just the values of our country as a as a nation that you know i'm all for you know, enjoying your life and having luxuries. But it might be that we were a little overindulgent pre-pandemic.
2: Yes, and I think because we have had to sort of adjust ourselves and we have had to uh, miss out on things that we used to do quite frequently. I mean, I, for example, can't imagine wanting to get back on the tube, really at any point. I mean, it probably will have to be the case that I do because no doubt that uh, his honour, the Sadiq Khan will put the congestion charge back on (laughs) and the uh, NCP car park will once again start charging 35 quid for me to park there. But at the moment it's free um, and I I really don't want to get back on the tube.
6: No, no, that is a concern. And I mean, Boris talked about how bicycles will be the great revolution going forward. I, I'm not sure that's going to happen across the country, especially in rural areas. Good luck with that one. Yeah, really. But, you know, the ultimately, I think Maybe what I'll we're get looking a horse. at, Mike, but you, you know, old school, very low carbon, the horses, aren't they? Yeah. And, I don't think I can get up know. the stairs though. That's the only problem. <laughs> That's always that is always a problem, Mike. I mean, look. I, funny enough, what we what we do need to do, and I'm, I'm I'm hoping that because you know we saw this in the Second World War, didn't we? That um, changes to our economy were forced upon us yeah. in our battle against uh, Germany and our ultimate de- defeating of Hitler. But what happened is that the Britain post war looked very different to what had happened because of the war and whether that was the fact that women women were working in factories and once the war finished uh, then in terms of attitudes towards the role of women yes. in society that was like ch- a changed you mm. know and a lot of those guys our heroes came back and found that the woman they'd married was rather unrecognizable yes. because she now had independence and and that was a good thing of course and therefore i think post pandemic I and mean, you might get the government rethinking a lot of aspects of things such as um, the taxation system does that need to be simplified you know all of the um instruments of 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 finance may well change i mean for example if you look at debt mike i mean the country's going to be indebted and it was the right thing to do Mm. to borrow our way through this crisis but I, i was listening to an expert on talk radio the other day on julia's show who said actually Everyone's insolvent now. So we might have to have a different attitude to debt and and, and what the consequences of debt might be.
2: Yes, no, I think that's absolutely right. Well, listen, I should look forward to listening to you tomorrow, Mark. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Mark Dolan there uh, talking us through his particular lockdown experience.
1: Mid-morning with Mike Graham.
2: Talk Radio.
1: The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I can't believe we've reached the end of uh, very nearly another show on a Thursday because that means tomorrow, Friday, which is VE Day, by the way. It is a bank holiday, but we will be here uh, in the Independent Republic because we always work bank holidays. We don't shirk from that. Uh, Why would we? And also, it's a very, very big occasion. It's the 75th anniversary uh, of VE Day uh, and it was meant to be celebrated far and wide up and down the nation. But of course, because of the lockdown, that won't be happening. The Queen, however, will be making a statement later on and uh, Boris Johnson I'm sure will have something to say as well and uh, we'll all be having a bit of a celebration here in the studio and coming up we'll be starting that celebration with a, a bit of a beer tasting but first before we do any of that let us talk to Terry Tozer, former airline pilot uh, he's currently writing a book on aviation safety because it's time for our homeschooling uh, so get your kids around the radio uh, and listen uh, g- listen up because you're going to learn how planes fly which I think most people uh, will find absolutely and utterly fascinating Terry a very good afternoon to you Good afternoon. Thank you very much indeed for uh, joining us and for giving you us will. the benefit of your, of your knowledge because it is something that people who are a little bit anxious about flying, a, bit a little bit scared of flying, and I've known many of them over the years, and one of the things they do is they look out as we're sitting at the airport and go, it just doesn't look natural. I just can't understand how it gets up in the air. So, uh, so tell us how you get something as big as a jumbo jet uh, to fly
8: um ironically it's actually an extremely um simple (coughs) excuse me process um and uh i do understand because when you see one of these huge aircraft um, Mm. taking off it does look impossible but basically the aircraft wing is uh, a carefully designed shape the upper part of the wing is curved the bottom part of the wing underneath is flatter right um And back in the 18th century, two Italian gentlemen discovered that if you accelerate air um, at a higher speed, the pressure um, drops. Right. So the air, as the wing is pushed through the air, the air on top of the wing has to go faster Mm. to end up at the same place because of the curve. The pressure drops, and then you've got a pressure differential, um, low pressure above, high pressure below, and that's called lift. Right, um, and providing that wing is pushed or dragged through the air fast enough at some point it will, the lift will in, exceed the weight of the aeroplane and up
2: it goes Right, and I suppose uh, there, there is a, an equation that, that you can work out on that basis but, but for, the, for the layman and woman, um, does it matter how heavy the aircraft is or not really?
8: Well, it does in the sense of um, that's all down to speed. Right. And, and the aircraft designers um, and the pilots on the flight deck will have clear data. So an, uh, an, an aircraft weighing this particular model with this particular wing design weighing, let's just say, 80 tonnes, once it reaches a certain speed, the lift will exceed the weight and it will take off. But in right. fact, if you've ever tried to hold an aircraft down, you
2: can't. Right. So if you had, for example, like a Tiger Moth, one of those old-fashioned, um, yep. you know, a very small, much more smaller planes, which are much lighter, presumably yep. they can take off at a, at, a, at a reduced speed then?
8: Much. I mean, a very small aircraft like that or the single-engine training you learn to fly in, probably will will leave the ground at 50 miles an hour, something mm. like that. Right. A jumbo jet at max weight nearly 400 tonnes probably needs to be doing nearly 200 miles an hour. Right. But either way, uh, once the critical speed is reached, the lift is generated and up she goes.
2: OK. Uh, what about the flaps? Because you see those moving about on the takeoff but also on landing as well.
8: You do, yes. Well, what they do is extend that curved surface on the upper part of the wing. Right. So you create more lift at a lower speed, Mm. and that's why it's used for takeoff and landing, usually more of it at landing. Um, And once you're airborne, you don't want the extra drag that that um, creates, Mm. and so they can be retracted, and then the aircraft accelerates. Um, Right. um, It's pretty well known, pretty well established. Yes.
2: So when you do take off, you get that sense, you know, I mean, my ki- I used to love watching my kids when, we, when they were quite small because they loved the fact that you were going so fast and, and one, one of my sons in particular was fascinated by it. And then as you raise yourself into the air, you feel the kind of thrust of the engines until you reach the required height, which is usually, what, 33,000 feet or something? Uh-huh. And then, you come, and then you can let the engines sort of relax a bit. How does that work?
8: Well, basically, depending... You'll probably find in a busy air environment that you'll level off and then climb again and level off and climb yeah. again as the, as the controllers control you. But once you're in the cruise, um, you're, you don't need... You're not climbing. You're not trying to defeat gravity to the same degree. Yeah. So you'll be able to reduce the thrust on the engines and use less fuel and just cruise along at the, at the level you've decided. Yeah. And um, when you descend, obviously... You reduce the thrust altogether, probably, and you can just coast downhill almost.
2: Yes. Well, that's one of the things that's always slightly puzzled me as well, is that well, I used to fly across the Atlantic quite a lot, and coming back to London from New York, it's always you've always got the wind behind you, and it always it takes less time and presumably uses less fuel. And I've always been quite surprised that something as big as an aeroplane would be that easily affected by the wind speed.
8: Well, if you think about it, the the air is the aircraft's medium. Yeah. A a boat um, on a river, if the tide is going out, if it's going with the tide, Mm. it'll go faster, won't it? Yes. And and slower coming in. Yes. So um, the same principle exists with aircraft. And um, uh, on the transatlantic example, you've nearly always got wind blowing from the US to the UK. Yeah. Um, And at high levels, that wind gets very strong indeed. Right. And you can have winds of anything up to 200 miles an hour. So you really are going to be moving over the ground Um, and your flight time will be less.
2: Yes. Because I mean, nowadays, I sometimes look on those, uh, you know, those things on the back of the seat which tell you you how fast you're going and where you are and that kind of thing. And some of the speeds now that are achieved on, 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 on long haul flights are quite incredible. You know, I mean, much more than the sort of three hundred, four hundred. Yeah, you know, closer up to five hundred miles an hour. Sometimes I've seen, and you know, it's, it's is, is that the case that the technology has made it just much easier for planes to fly quicker.
8: Well, ironically, they're a bit slower than they were in the seventies, and that's because of fuel savings. Okay, um, in the seventies, the only object was speed, mm. um, and then of course we started to think about fuel consumption yeah. um, as that got more expensive. But nevertheless, I mean, you're going to have an aircraft, um, the average jet is going to be flying at around kind of three-quarters or maybe more of the speed of sound. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, 500 miles an hour or more... um, I mean, there was a case recently, I think, where BA broke the transatlantic record, and they have ground speeds in the region of 800 miles. Yeah. There, and that was because of a colossal jet stream.
2: Yeah, incredible. Absolutely amazing. What about gliders? Because gliders, of course, um, get towed up into the sky, don't they? And then they can just sort of swoop around on the, on the drafts of the wind.
8: Yeah, I mean, gliding, um, I have tried it. I'm not an expert. <laughs> um, but... Um, it's it, it, that's down to a number of factors. Uh, certainly, very sophisticated design nowadays of the glider itself, but also the environment. Um, up in Aberdeen, for example, they've had gliders that have been released um, from a tow at three thousand feet and have gone up to thirty-six. Um, and that's because they can make it, take advantage of the airflow over the Grampian Mountains. Okay. Right. Um, it depends where you are sometimes um the heat from you know on a hot day you get thermal effects and yes. gliders are, the, the air is rising the glider can take advantage of that
2: Yeah, and I've always been in planes when there's been a kind of a crossover. I was flying back from Singapore once and there was quite a lot of turbulence coming over um, from, say, I think it was the Hindu Kush we were flying over and then we came through sort of over the airwaves of of Iraq and it was obviously a very hot part of the Middle East. And so the air, you could feel the planes just sort of almost shaking because the air air temperature was very different. Similarly, when you come into Canada from the Atlantic, you know, and you actually hit the landmass and there's almost always a, a bit of turbulence there.
8: Yeah, I mean land heats up and cools down much faster than the water. So yeah. <clears throat> you will get a bigger thermal effect over land always mm. um, and you know hourly sometimes.
2: Right. And I mean people who do worry about flying always hate turbulence. I mean what well, can you assure people about turbulence? <laughs> can you can you it's kind of Probably
8: it's probably the least important thing to worry about. Really? Um yeah, um um you know you you can't dismiss it entirely. I mean if you're not strapped in and you hit Severe turbulence—you'll be thrown out of your seat and hit the ceiling. Yes, I once sat next to a and did that. Yeah, I mean that's why they tell you to keep your seatbelt fastened, and right. that's very sensible. Um, the aircraft are very strong, and um, the, the turbulence would need to be so extreme you probably your vision would be blurred before yes. it was—it uh, was going to be any risk. And you know, even then, um, I mean, it's just not likely to cause any kind of failure.
2: But it's just that moment when, particularly if the plane drops. I mean, this particular incident, I was flying from Atlanta back to uh, New York, and the woman next to me was not wearing her seatbelt. And the, 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 they just served the drinks. And it was that, you know, that terrible um, sort of weather they get between Atlanta and New York quite a lot. There's quite a lot of wind shear. There was quite a lot of, you know, t- thunderstorms in the summer and that kind of thing. And we suddenly just dropped. And it felt like we dropped about 400 feet. I think I spoke to the pilot later and he said, actually, we only dropped about 35, 40 feet. It just felt yeah. like a lot. Her head went straight through the overhead uh, baggage container, right? And I was sitting wow. there holding a gin and tonic, didn't spill a drop. Was
8: <laughs> she all right?
2: She was, no, her head was bleeding. She was okay, but I mean, I think she was in shock, you know. Yeah. She was in first well, class. There, the so they looked after her nicely.
8: Yeah, no, you you can sustain quite serious neck injuries. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, literally,
2: cool. head just went right through it. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, not to be advised. No, quite. Okay. Well, um, Terry, a, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Uh, your book is on aviation safety. When's that coming out?
8: Well, um, I, I I need to ask my agent that one. Well, I'm still working <laughs> on it, so I would think maybe the end of the year with any luck.
2: Yes, well, hopefully things will be back. Planes will be back in the air by then, because God knows when uh, when all of that's going to return to normal. Yes, it? So. I mean
8: it's going to be a bit of a slow process. I yes,
2: think. I think so. Great stuff, Terry. Thank you very much indeed, Terry Tozer. Uh, they're giving us the lowdown on flying how uh, safe flying actually is and pilots will always tell you uh, that there's nothing to be frightened of turbulence uh, notwithstanding yes it can be a bit hairy and it can feel a bit frightening but actually uh, turbulence as terry said is the least uh, of the things to worry about when you're flying uh, in a plane so that was our homeschooling we'll have more homeschooling tomorrow as it's ve day we may just do it on ve day Uh, considering that a lot of people might need to have a bit of an education as to what we are actually uh, celebrating. Talk Radio.
1: Across the UK. Online. On DAB. And on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio.